Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. So, what can you do? What what can you do when your world is turned on its head? What can you do when everything that was, quote, normal is is gone or shifted or not quite the same? What I really like about tonight's episode is we're going to take a good solid look at that. Tonight the topic is spiritual practice for crazy times, and our guest tonight is Philip Goldberg. We're going to bring him on in just a minute. What a timely topic. It's actually the name of his latest book. But spiritual practice for crazy times. Sometimes it it doesn't seem like uh, meditation or yoga or other forms of spiritual practice might be the go-to thing when when our lives are getting turned on their head when what we saw as normal is fleeting, perhaps, from us. We can have the tendency to grasp for what's normal. Grasp for some some known, predictable experience that we can hang our hat on. And, you know... (laughs) I've done this show for 10 years now and 2020 has to take the take the cake for every single week the the crazy index seems to keep going up and up and up. <laughs> I threw away the measuring stick. It, we've got plenty of crazy going on. But tonight we're going to take a take a step back if you will and look at What are the what are the obvious and perhaps not so obvious advantages of spiritual practice for results? Spiritual re, spiritual practice for perhaps a um, safe haven, a, a dependable resource when everything outside of us seems anything but dependable. I think tonight's conversation is going to address that quite clearly. Again, the topic tonight is spiritual practice for crazy times, powerful tools to cultivate calm, clarity, and courage. That's the name of Philip Goldberg's latest book. Philip's our guest tonight. Philip has been studying the world's spiritual traditions for more than 45 years. He is an author or co-author of some 25 books published in more than a dozen languages. His book, American Veda, was named by Huffington Post and Library Journal as one of the top 10 religious books of 2010. And it was followed in 2018 by the popular 
biography, The Life of Yogananda. He blogs on spirituality and health and co-hosts the Spiritual Matters podcast. You can learn more about Philip at his website, philipgoldberg.com. Join me in welcoming Philip to the show. Philip, welcome to the show tonight. Great to be with you, Les. I have to say you you have to be psychic. I mean, to write a book <laughs> with the title <laughs> Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times Before 2020. Let's see, it was uh, last year when it came out, is that right? No, it came out this year, but I wrote it last year. It came out oh, okay. um it, it came out just a couple of months ago. Um but um I conceived of it in the spring of 2019 when I thought times were pretty crazy. There was a lot of a lot of uh people feeling overwhelmed and uh fearful and angry and confused. Um, and I wrote it, and it was edited, and went into you know all the various stages of production, and then the pandemic hit, and uh, we realized we had better timing than we anticipated. Uh, we chose not to make any changes except for a paragraph acknowledging the uh, pandemic because um, the principles and the uh, practices, the advice, everything in the book is pretty much applicable to any time a person's life goes into a, you know, a stage of turmoil or you know what I call craziness, um which can be any time, but it 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 couldn't be more appropriate, uh, you know, I everybody's congratulating me on my timing. And uh, unless I subconsciously anticipated that times would be even crazier than they were last year, um, I can't take credit for it. But but things were crazy before, and and we knew actually. The truth is, we when we when we said we'll publish in uh, August of uh, 2020, we knew. Uh, there was going to be a turbulent period because it was going to be the time leading up to the election. Nobody right. could have anticipated COVID and that, you know, it would be, you know, a hundred times crazier than than you know anybody could have imagined. And and much more tragic, of course. Oh yeah. I it seems like we're still bleeding out, so to speak. We're there I think there's so many untold faces, untold narratives of what's happening behind the scenes that it might take quite a while of hindsight for us to really understand how deeply this is shaking us. So, yes. you know, the the notion of your life getting turned on its head. I mean, we were chatting a little bit before the show of the many different ways that people had to, had to cope with things. Um, and then and then be thrown into crisis to be thrown into turmoil i mean like depression alcoholism i mean all forms of addiction so to speak as a escape mechanism how does yeah. how does spiritual practice 
way as far as a go-to resource. I mean, how can you put weight and and get some some leverage, some fulcrum, if you will, for your own personal demeanor? How does spiritual practice show up for ourselves when times are crazy? Well, we have to make it uh, happen. But, you know, I've been at this, as your introductory suggested, for a, a long time. You know, I got uh, set foot on my personal spiritual path in the late 60s when I was very young. And uh, discovering in my search, you know, the value of spiritual practices like meditation, which was the the, the core methods that I found myself uh, exploring back in the day. And it's still the centerpiece of my daily practice. Um, and, of course, then there's a, a big repertoire of other practices that one could uh, adopt. But I learned very early on and have been advocating ever since in my writing and my public speaking and my uh, um, spiritual counseling work when I was doing that, that the spiritual is practical. You know, we, we, we have this tendency in, in large parts of society to think of the word spiritual as being, a, you know, otherworldly. Uh, right. You know, the spiritual pre people are impractical, space cadets, you know, hermits, people who, you know, not concerned with the reality of everyday life and they, you know, take time in their day to meditate and go to their spiritual groups and do all the things uh, that are part of a possible spiritual life. Um, But the truth is it's extremely practical. If you have effective spiritual practices at your disposal and you take advantage of them on a regular basis, these are powerful tools to bring some inner peace and contentment and more clarity of thought and more compassion and more capacity for love, more energy. These are not escape mechanisms they can be if if you have that kind of orientation but if you're a person in the world and you have responsibilities and you have concerns and you want to engage in action to to uh as as a professional as a <clears throat> excuse me family member as a citizen spiritual practices are not only compatible with that, but they are a great platform for that. I call it a, a spiritual two-step. It's you By going within and with effective spiritual practices, yes, it's a refuge. It's a sanctuary. It's a, a break from the outer orientation and the madness and the confusion and the turbulence and the stress. But it at the same time rejuvenating and re-energizing. Every time you engage in a spiritual practice, it's like a reset. And you come out back into the world. It's not like you're going off, <laughs> you know, to live in a cave. You know, <laughs> if, 
it's a temporary refuge. You withdraw for that 15 minutes, that half hour, whatever it is, that five minutes, that, you know, and and you rejuvenate and you come out better equipped to handle the challenges that we all face. I, I mean, that's a lesson that every spiritual tradition I'm aware of uh, emphasizes, and it's one I learned the truth of in my own life very early on, and it, it keeps revalidating itself, reconfirming that principle all these years, and I have no hesitation in advising people or encouraging people take up deep spiritual practices don't think of them as a luxury don't think of them as uh, superfluous they're necessary maintenance in life just like taking showers and exercising and eating properly and changing the oil in your car <laughs> it is this it to me it's as necessary and integral to living a good life and to uh, overcoming the the damage that living in such crazy stressful times can do to us so to me the spiritual is practical well said i very much like that well, I'm going to take it just a little bit deeper and and maybe put some some uh, perspective to it. So, say perhaps that I, the listener, have have never had a spiritual practice, and every time I turn on the flipping TV, I want to pull my hair out and run down the street screaming. <laughs> yes. I mean, well, that's I mean, a, so that could often, be a spiritual practice. <laughs> Close your mindful as you run. That's right. <laughs> well, I, but what I'm getting at here is um, our our minds can be uh, such creatures of habit, such uh, creatures of reaction, where we have the same results because every time we get stimulus, we drop into a, re, a reaction, a repetitive cycle. And and I, I know a lot of people, an awful lot of people on the planet, are, they're tired. They're tired of crazy. I mean, because yes. crazy's been amped up. And if they haven't had, <laughs> it sounds a little odd, but if they haven't had to deal with crazy up to 2020, they might not have any skills. If if my mind has no dis disciplinary uh, traits as far as interrupting my reactions, interrupting my my default reactions. Shed some light on, on, you know, you talk about going into spiritual practice, five minutes, 15 minutes, half hour. How do you change? I mean, what changes within you as an individual that when you come out of that, somehow the world is better? I mean, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Well, there's two things that need to be said. One, and I emphasize this in my book, um, 
I, I, I strongly advocate having uh, regular spiritual practice, something deep and meditative that brings you into what I call the sanctuary of peace within us. We all have at our core an, a, a realm, a, a domain of quiet and silence and contentment and uh, purity. This is not imaginary. This is something we can easily experience with the right practices. Um, and, and we've all had a taste of that in our lives at the very least. We know there's times when we feel very calm inside, very content, other times when we feel agitated and so forth. And it's not always because of what's happening outside. It's because of what's going on in, inside. So we have this core of our being that we don't normally access, but we might slip into at times. Spiritual practice just makes that more predictable and and allows you to have it on a regular basis. I'm talking about deep spiritual practice, whether it's mindfulness or meditation or deep prayer or you know whatever people do that brings them quiets the mind, settles the body, and brings a, a sense of peace. When you come out from a practice like that, there's a shift in how you think, how you feel, how you perceive the world, and so forth. It doesn't necessarily, it's not permanent. You'll, re, you'll uh, you know, <laughs> return soon enough to your habits and so forth, but it makes a dent, and you're more likely to be able to change if you're coming from a, a, a place where you have access to your own quiet space inside, and you can see more clearly, think more clearly, perceive the world more accurately. That's one thing. The other piece of it is there are things we can do to uh, deliberately work on how we perceive the world and how we react. Think of it this way. I, I try to be very practical in this, and if you if you not careful, it can sound very ethereal, and people can say you know can just uh, shrug shrug what I'm saying off as unreal. Think of the people in high stress situations. Think of athletes. I'm a big sports fan. I've been a sports fan all my life. And we all know if we watch ball games, there are these high stress, big tension moments. And we know certain players are able to keep their cool. They don't get rattled. They don't get nervous. They have an inner stability, an inner calm, and those are the people who rise to the occasion. The same is true of police people, doctors and nurses in emergency rooms. You know, right now there are hundreds and hundreds of them treating COVID patients on a high-stress situation. The ones who don't panic, the ones who retain a certain calm inside, can exercise their skills without making mistakes and without blundering, without losing it. 
Same is true of, you know, firefighters and soldiers and, you know, executives, you know, when there's chaos and uh, decision makers, parents when their kids are in trouble. I mean, you know, we all have our moments when we're facing difficulty. If we can retain some calmness inside, not indifference and, you know, not some tranquilizer kind of thing, but just some inner clarity and inner calm, we are more effective in handling things. We see things in a slightly different way than if we're panicked or, you know, enraged to the point where, you know, we're boiling over. That's when we make mistakes. That's when we say stupid things. That's when we do things we later regret. So having some inner stability is an advantage in attacking the world in a creative way, in a highly functional way, in an effective way to bring about change, to fix things, to make things better. And that, to me, is is one of the great advantages for having a repertoire of spiritual practices. You know, people always say, you know, something happens and there's chaos and you're terribly upset. What do people say? Calm down, take a breath, don't act, you know, rash, don't act rashly. That's just, you know, common sense. Well, if you have the capacity because of spiritual practice to remember to do that and to do it well, to really come to some calm, stable place, even if it's, you know, take a breath. But then there's how to take a breath and methods of taking that breath and methods of taking several breaths. And I have breathing practices in the book for that very reason. So we can improve on the sort of common sense advice and our uh, common sense experience of you know, the people we admire and how they handle uh, challenges by bringing these methods into our lives to sort of improve our odds of, you know, reacting properly when stuff happens. I like that. Well, um, how do we, how do we spiritualize our our emotions when they come up? Uh, Outrage. Mm. Is there a way to, I mean, transmute. I mean, if all we do is push our feelings down and and not allow, I mean, uh, being at peace in the storm is a very very powerful thing. But at some point, it's um, when we desire change in the face of injustice. How do we how do we move past the the first impulse or the first emotional reaction of perhaps outrage or anger? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a good question. It's important. And I I address this in my book. And um, I take inspiration from the great historical figures. Martin Luther King was angry. Mahatma Gandhi was angry. You could say Jesus was angry about, you know, certain things and conditions. But they didn't act 
from the rage, that that emotion, as you put it, was spiritualized. It was uh, it was integrated into a loving and compassionate heart, and channeled into indignation or uh you know that kind of um moral perspective that goes from rage and anger to something's wrong here something is not just something is improper something is immoral i am going to address that and i'm going to address it effectively with good strategy and good you know, uh, uh, planning. And so that's how the world changes. What begins with anger can become a moral statement and a strategy. And we do that in our everyday lives. We get angry at our spouse. We get angry at our neighbor. We get angry at our family, whatever it is, our coworkers. But if you if you lash out, he's just going to make things worse. But if you retain some calmness, think it through, maybe get some good advice, come from a, a compassionate place, and take proper steps, you can actually make things change. You can, you know, make things better. And that's you know another uh, sort of practical advantage of of spiritual practice. When, I mean, I've been in situations where, you know, I I stopped myself or was lucky enough to not be able to act in the immediate, you know, reaction of anger or rage or upset. And I go do my spiritual practices and things calm down a little bit. And I come out and and I realize, okay, I'm I'm glad I didn't uh, act rashly. Now I can now I think I understand this a little better. You know, people find often that if you just take some time, just time itself changes our perspective, shifts us a little bit. And 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 spiritual practices just accelerate that process because you 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 have a certain degree of transformation that comes about when you when you engage those practices so it's not a tranquilizer it, it and we, it, i would never want to advocate uh, suppressing feelings or being in denial and you know you there are spiritual teachings that if you interpret them that way that's where they lead you they lead you to suppression and denial but I don't think that's an effective way to live life. Really effective spiritual practices can enable you to see reality very clearly. Something is wrong. That person is dangerous. You know, this situation has to be changed. But you may be able to approach them in a in a more effective way uh if 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 you have some inner peace and and some um greater awareness right well i boy i like what you're saying 
um, you know, the polarity of the presidential elections in the United States. There's there's such a, a polarization in the political arena, and when we look at the opposite of us, regardless of which side we're on, if we look at the opposite, the 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 paradigm, the narrative that we don't want, and in and in society, there's these um, crusaders on both sides of the coin, and their crusade is based on their Kool-Aid, their political stance. I mean, it can be so easy to have hatred and and rage and and um, a desire for revenge or, um, you know, to, to sit and watch something and feel hopeless or helpless about influencing change. What's the spiritual slant that we can bring towards uh, people, these, these uh, frontline people that are crusaders for their cause, when we feel like that might be the demise of what we ourselves desire. You're, you know, you're addressing probably one of the uh, biggest conundrums of modern life, and um, I don't want to make it sound like engaging in spiritual practice is, you know, a panacea that's going to solve all these complicated problems easily. But I can say that engaging and deepening our spiritual lives, with that comes a a greater degree of compassion, a greater capacity for love, a greater capacity for understanding and discernment. Which is not to say that spiritual people are not are all you know saints. There's a, a disconcerting number of spiritual people uh, I've discovered recently that are all caught up in crazy conspiracy theories that have no grounding in reality. So there's no guarantees, but it does improve your odds. Uh, and and the degree to which, and even I, with my you know 50 years of meditating and everything, I, I find it hard sometimes to find compassion for people I think are totally, you know, destructive and dangerous uh, because they're caught up in anger and and outrage and um what I, you know, what are demonstrably um um false narratives and they're threatening that has to be addressed. But the average differences in political opinions and everything, we've all always had those. And there's no reason that we can't <clears throat> communicate with one another and, and with a certain degree of curiosity and understanding and patience and understand one another better and find some common ground and realize that you know there are much more important things in life than the than uh, that we all want we all want prosperity and peace and fairness and 
all the good things. And when it comes down to it, we might disagree on how to do it. My biggest concern at, at this moment is not the ability to do that, but the unwillingness people have to even try. And the other problem I, I see is that um, uh, there's a lot of false information out there, and both both ends of the spectrum think the other side is a victim of, uh, you know, fake news or whatever term they want to use. But I think we need to come back to at least respect for uh, truth and demonstrable evidence and uh, facts that um, we can then use as a foundation and debate and, you know, how to proceed from the facts. I hope we can restore that um, now that there's going to be a, a change in leadership and uh, and now that we've seen the consequences of uh, denying uh, evidence, in fact, uh, uh, you know, with uh, perpetuating and making COVID worse than it necessarily had to be. But to me, you know, the spiritual dimension of things, it's not necessarily ooga booga. There's nothing uh, about practical approaches to spirituality that uh, are in any way incompatible with evidence and fact and uh, experimental um, truth. In fact, one of the things I did in spiritual practice for crazy times is I drew from all the different spiritual traditions in, in uh, proposing techniques and guidelines and uh, advice. But I also drew from science whenever I could because a lot of spiritual practices, especially meditation, mindfulness, even prayer, yoga, uh, various forms of devotion, they've, they're being studied quite rigorously by science over the last few decades. And, and there's a great deal of research demonstrating their value. Uh, and this is one of the reasons I feel very comfortable advocating these, because you know hundreds and hundreds of studies have shown that meditation and, and the other practices um, have a demonstrable, measurable value in making us healthier, uh, more uh, stable mentally and emotionally and a whole variety of of benefits that can be gained from this and and that's you know the, we, part of having an evidence-based um, approach to life is to look at the evidence about things like spiritual practice Things I, I mentioned breathing practices before. You know, we we know perfectly well what happens in the brain and the nervous system, and uh, when you do certain breathing practices and why they calm us down. We know what happens in meditation. We could see the brain functions changing. 
And, you know, so uh, why not take advantage of this? Uh, I may be babbling here, and I haven't answered your question because I'm not sure there is an easy answer to your question. But I only know that having some inner calm and greater compassion and all the other benefits that accrue from spiritual practice can help us uh, navigate through these, these difficult circumstances. Well, I don't think you're babbling at all. And as a host, I do have kind of the reputation of asking the the pissy questions, the the uh, the nonlinear answer um, type questions. But I mean, you know, it's when I look at what's going on, the dynamic of 2020. I mean, all of us, both sides of the fence. And regardless of any fence, any polarity, any posture, us as humanity, as a singularity, us as humanity has kind of had our reality shaken pretty deeply, really all over the globe. And yes, for me, it's a, I see it as a very rich opportunity for us to take a step back and really kind of evaluate um, where our attention has been, where our, you know, um, I mentioned running down the street screaming, and you mentioned it as a meditation process. (laughs) (laughs) If you make it such, it can be. Well, right, but, I mean, in the singularity of humanity, we're all kind of getting turned on our heads a little bit and maybe a lot. And I think there's an opportunity in that for us to shift our perspective. And what I'm getting at here is in 2019, there's so many topics that weren't even on our radar and I'm I'm going to be vague about that because I have that liberty as a host. <laughs> the the upheaval of of our own insight. In other words, we before the show we were talking about fear. How how deeply fear can be integrated in a person, and sometimes they're even addicted to the fear response. What to take a a big step back from 2019 and our our naivety or our unconscious awareness of attributes of our human behavior that wasn't serving us where perhaps all of our attention was on um sports or um anything but how our country was run, anything but our our own demeanor, our own addictions. Maybe we weren't aware of how addicted we were to particular aspects of our life. What I'm getting at is in this upheaval, what insights can we see of ourselves that allows us to put a better step forward in perhaps 2021 metaphorically? Yeah, I, I'm glad you're allowing us to look ahead a little bit. 
Um, I, I know a lot of people in the spiritual world are saying, oh, this was all meant to be and something great is going to come from all this, you know, misery and and upheaval. And I think I'm more, I'm realistic enough to say that's certainly possible, but it's not inevitable. We have to make that happen. It's, you know, how we respond to what we've been through in 2020 starting in 2021 or starting today, right now, what lessons we learn, what actions we take, what changes we insist upon, what changes we make in our own lives, in our own little domains, that's all going to depend on on us. And it seems to me there are certain lessons that have to be learned. And if we don't learn them as a result of what happens, what's been happening to us in this phase of, of humanity's history, then I don't know what it will take. For example, if we haven't learned because of the pandemic how connected we are to one another, not just you know locally, but the whole globe you know, we've been talking about interconnectedness and the connectedness of ecology, the connectedness of the global economy. We're connected to the point where, you know, when we breathe on one another, that spreads. And eventually, you know, what starts in China ends up in small towns in the Midwest of America and in villages and in other countries. This is we're connected. The whole world is suffering from an economic depression that was brought on by a pandemic. And we need to think more globally. We think we need to acknowledge the interconnectedness. That's one thing. I, 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 I is such an obvious lesson for us to learn uh, as a civilization. And the other. One of the other things is those of us who have been forced into seclusion to a far greater extent than we were uh, ever had before, if we're lucky enough to be able to feed ourselves and not be destitute and not worry about losing our homes, and if we're healthy, um, if we're if we're in that percentage of humanity that is not you know really really suffering if we have the luxury of being able to learn from the solitude and recognize the importance of being able to be alone and quiet and how nourishing that is we were forced to learn that and it's a great lesson to learn Maybe we don't need all that stimulation. Maybe we don't need all the material possessions and the nightclubs and the you know various forms of uh, diversion and entertainment. Maybe the source of contentment and happiness is a far more simple thing. Maybe it's within us. Maybe we value our loved ones more now, either because we're with them more because we can't go anywhere else or because we miss them so much. 
We have the holidays coming up. People are going to miss their loved ones. This is the time of year they're used to, you know, traveling and being with family. And now, you know, millions of people are going to be far more lonely at the holidays and far more alone than they're accustomed to being. Well, that they're going to miss people. They're going to feel a longing. They're going to be sad. But there's lessons to be learned from that. Maybe we'll value our the people in our lives more than we did before. Maybe we'll we won't take them for granted. Maybe we won't take for granted having a roof over our heads and you know all whatever if we're relatively comfortable. Um, maybe we'll have more compassion for those who are suffering because now there's there are people suffering because of. Uh, the pandemic and and people who are destitute because through no fault of their own, so we can't just dismiss them as you know somehow being inferior or uh, f- flawed uh, the way we might have in the past. There are so many lessons to be learned, um, and I hope we rise to the occasion. I mean, on a practical level, we we've we've seen how important leadership is, how important um, the role that uh, our elected officials and our government agencies can do, the good they can do. We, we, we tend to take that for granted or think they're all crooks. But, you know, we're seeing public servants. We're seeing essential workers. Maybe we'll value the people who uh, uh, feed, make sure we're fed and the people in the you know front lines of medical care and the delivery people and all those people we've come to be so dependent on well we always are but maybe now we'll appreciate it more maybe we'll be okay with them getting better paid i mean there's just so many things come to mind that as lessons that we can take from this and and to me the above all else um if you know, coming back to spiritual practice for crazy times, um, if the crazy times encourages people to take up spiritual practices that they never thought they had the time to do, if they learn new things because, you know, they read a book like mine or, you know, hear a spiritual teacher online or something, this can transform their lives. And, And learning and experiencing um, the source of learning about and experiencing directly a, a measure of inner peace that comes with uh, cultivating spiritual practices, um, maybe that will have a permanent, be a permanent lesson in people's lives that will stand them well, you know, after this is all over. So I, I, I think there's great reason to hope that good things can come of this. Uh, and that all the suffering will be in some way redeemed, and uh, you know, in in our collective lives. But we have to make that happen. We can't just go, you know, when this is over, just go back to you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as we used to say. <laughs> right. Hey, well, you know, um, it, it it can be easy to see um, issues problems, and even changes of behavior in other people. And you've mentioned some very good points about 
some of the insights we can get. But I wanted to, I want to kind of uh, turn the the focus on ourselves as far as using this upheaval, this turmoil, as a way to see attributes of ourselves that perhaps we weren't aware of. It's kind of like yeah. sprinkling flour on the on the kitchen floor to see if you've been sleepwalking, in in the sense that. Yeah. We all have attributes that we're not aware of, habits, traits, perhaps attitudes that we might not be conscious of, that might, might be evident through other people. How can we use this upheaval to get some insights about behaviors and traits that might not serve us that previously we were unaware of? I think we should be doing that all the time. <laughs> In <laughs> good times and bad, we always have, you know, we always should be engaged in learning about ourselves, improving ourselves, uh, you know, fixing <laughs> to the extent we can our quirks and our flaws and things that uh, get in our own way. But this may be a time when, you know, people have, they're alone more than they usually are. They're alone and they can think more, you know, about themselves and their lives and mistakes they've made. Maybe it's a time, uh, especially if, uh, you know, uh, uh, with maybe it's a time when you can you can consult with the people who are close to you and have the time and the motivation for honest conversations about one another that you, you know, are too distracted normally to engage in but it it could be i mean this is, that kind of introspection is one of the uses to which we can put this um enforced uh solitude that we have you know we it's very easy to you know go out and be distracted and and truth is we can if we want to be distracted even if we're stuck home alone you know, if if we have a television <laughs> or a computer, there's no end of distractions. But maybe we can also, if we're motivated, use this time to reflect on our lives. And uh, I think one of the, you know, there are many spiritual practices that would encourage that and make that process uh, more easy, and and which doesn't mean we should be tough on ourselves, but we all we're all growing. We're all here on the planet to grow and learn, and one of the things why not learn about ourselves if if we have the opportunity? Maybe we can, you know, because we're less distracted now, uh, take a, a you know good self assessment. Make a determination. Hey, New Year's is coming up. New Year's time for New Year's resolutions. I'd love to do a study on whether you know people approach New Year's resolutions after this mad, crazy year we've had in a different way than they did in the past. But it'd be a good opportunity, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Well, I like that. Um, that would that would be an interesting dynamic. Um, 
especially if you could compare it to the last five years of New Year's resolutions. That would that would give you some insight yeah. about their own insights. Now, in the book, you talk about practicing the spiritual two-step to help yeah. the world from the inside out. Can you can you expand on that? Yes. Um, and, in fact, you know, I was just thinking one of the things I hope people learn is the importance of good citizenship, the importance of being involved in what's going on in their community and in the country as a whole, the importance of voting, the importance of being well-informed. Uh, I think maybe those lessons uh, are being learned, uh, you know, this year. Um, but the spiritual two-step, I mean the practical value of going within through spiritual practices like meditation and then coming out better equipped to engage in the world in whatever capacity you're called to as a as a family member as a a, a professional as a neighbor or whatever it is, as a citizen. And one of the things that I think comes from regular spiritual practice as a result of growing as a spiritual person is you start to feel more content inside, less needy. And that gives way to feeling of, you know, maybe I can contribute to those who are uh, in need. Maybe I can uh, take uh, some of my time, some of my energy to uh, serve others or, you know, run for office or, you know, help uh, in in a, you know, soup kitchen or a, a, a clinic or whatever it may be, just to do some act of service. Every spiritual tradition calls upon its members to do what some call charity or to, you know, do some, serve the larger community, especially those who are in need. And the reason this is, you know, a a thousands-of-year-old tradition in, in all of, you know, every culture, it's not just that it makes the world a better place. It makes us better. It serves us Doing something of service, finding your own inner peace, your own stability, and then step two, coming out and doing something of value for the world. What, even if it's just something small because you don't have that much time or whatever, it feels good. It elevates our soul. It, it makes us feel better. There's nothing... Uh, one spiritual teacher I quote in my book once said, if you want to be depressed, just think about yourself all the time. There's something about doing something of value for others, <clears throat> being of service. It gets you out of your own ego, gets you out of your self-absorption. <clears throat> and that in itself is a spiritual act. And if it also helps the world, so much the better. 
I like that. You know, time can go by pretty fast, and I want to make sure the audience knows how to get your book. And any anything else you want to share about yourself, uh, if you have a modality or uh, ways of service, how they can connect with you. So give us. I would invite everybody. I would love. I would love to hear from your listeners, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity. My website. <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, philipgoldberg.com, philip with one L. And there's, you know, buttons to push, (laughs) things to read, and links to, you know, videos and everything else. Um, I would, so that's the starting point. You can email me and get in touch with me that way. Of course, you know, you can, Go to Amazon or any other online bookseller to get this book or any of my previous books, and I would uh, encourage you to do so. It's a, it's the season of gift giving, <laughs> and and the uh, my book is very useful. Um, I would also invite you to uh, my podcast, which is called Spirit Matters. There's a page or you know links to it on my website as well, or you can go to spiritmatterstalk.com. My co-host and I have interviewed a couple, 250 or so people, all about different aspects of spirituality. There's so much to learn. It's free. It's our act of service. Speaking of service, um, I lead tours to India when <laughs> there's no pandemic. And uh, you can find my, you know, blogs and videos and everything else on my website. But thank you for the opportunity, Les. Well, I want to thank you for being our guest tonight. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate it, and I, I have as well. And I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to um, answer Good questions. We've been talking with Philip Goldberg, and the topic tonight has been Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, the name of his latest book, Spiritual Practice for Crazy Times, Powerful Tools to Cultivate Calm, Clarity, and Courage. You know, we can we can point at the chaos and say, oh, no, boo-hoo, and, and turn on the TV and say, oh, no, boo-hoo. But I suggest to you that your opportunity to have deep insights, not only to yourself, but to the, what would I say, the personality of the collective consciousness, the personality of the human demeanor, the personality of the human genome. I mean, we're watching humanity as a whole get turned on its head, and we can see some pretty fundamental behaviors that are more or less across humanity. So uh, you you can blame everything on these times, or you can take the opportunity to really, really have some deep introspection and powerful spiritual growth within your own persona during these times. Hey, you showed up for yourself. You, the listener, 
you've listened to this episode, I applaud you for showing up for yourself, for putting in the time to learn about new dynamics, new narratives that are possible for yourself. For me, I love bringing episodes like this to you, the listener. It's my pleasure. It's my passion. Take a closer look at this this human persona we all have and what opportunities we can harvest from that. I'm your host, Les Jensen. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living Radio broadcast. To bring your soul's inspiration into effect and live your life wide open. Check out our host, Les Jensen's latest book, Citizen King, The New Age of Power, at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.